What's up, gentlemen? This is Rising Phoenix Podcast, the podcast about how to rise up after your divorce. I'm your host, Michael Rhodes. Let's get into it. Joining me today is Mr. Sean Smith. Uh, Sean, let's just jump right into it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm a, I'm a psychologist in Denver, Colorado. I've been doing private practice for about uh, 17 years now, and uh, not much more to know about me than that, I think. That's kind of a boring uh, story. <laughs> well, you did write a book, uh, and um, you also, I've seen you speak about the red pill. Uh, before we get into the discussion of the red pill, let's talk about your book a little bit. Uh, what is it, and uh, can you give us a synopsis? I have a few books out there because um, I tend to try to, I write a book so that I don't forget things that I've learned, but um, my baby, the one that I, that I really um, I'm proud of and has done really well is the tactical guide to women, which sounds like the most misogynistic thing in the world, but it's really just about guys being careful about the relationships that they choose is the book that I wish I had had when I was younger that, cause you know, the reason I wrote this book is when I started doing private practice a long time ago, and guys would come in with their with their various situations. Um, and I used to work a lot with anxiety disorders, but women would invariably come up. And I started asking guys early on, who taught you how to choose relationships? Mm-hmm. Who sat down with you and told you, you know, you can choose a woman who is kind to you. You can choose a woman who's emotionally mature. You can choose a woman who um, it doesn't have a ment- or who takes care of herself mentally and physically. You know, and the answer is always nobody. Nobody ever taught me these things. So that's why I wrote the book. I, I started looking at relationship patterns that I saw in my practice and I started looking at the literature. So and I wanted to write a book about how to choose a, a relationship wisely. So um, what, what are some of the takeaways of the book? Like what's what's like maybe the top three things that that um, that guys will get when they will they'll be able to take away after reading it? Well, one of the th- the, the first section of the book is, I think, something that we're going to be touching on quite a bit here is, is having yourself in order before you try to get into a relationship, which is different for men and women. Women, you know, men to a much larger extent have to have their place sorted out in society or at least be working towards something before they can really start making good relationship choices for the most part. I mean, some guys lock into good relationship choices while they're still kind of lost and that's fine. That's good. But that's not the, not typically how it works. And, uh, you know, there's a psychologist named Roy Baumeister in, in Florida, and he's done a lot of good writing and he's written a little bit about relationships. And one of the things that he's observed across cultures is that men aren't respected until they earn it. And women are respected until they lose it. Mm. And, you know, they have, they have to do something to lose respect. We have to do something to gain respect. And so we're coming, men and women are coming to relationships from very different places in our lives. Sure. So first part of the book to answer the question is a lot about knowing where you're going so that you know what kind of relationship will fit. So you're not taking on passengers when you don't know where you're going. But then um, I, I do talk a lot about just some some basic relationship skills that any woman needs to have if you're going to bring her into your life. She needs to be emotionally mature. She needs to be mentally stable, which doesn't mean she doesn't have issues that she's dealing with. It means that she's dealing with them and she needs to have some sense of who she is and what she's trying to accomplish in life so that you're not at cross purposes. And that, that just brought up something. Um, how, how long is it typically, and I know generalizations is, is a bit lazy, but but it's all we have here uh, right now. Um, how long typically before a person really reveals himself? Or do you think that some of these, y- you can learn 
how to uncover some things pretty quickly. Cause I think we all, and men are just as guilty. We all wear a mask, right. For the first X number of dates, weeks, months, whatever it is, maybe, maybe years in some cases. Um, but, but typically like how, how long before you can really know if a person has some of the things that you should be looking for? Well, there's some things that show up pretty quickly, um, like how they treat other people, you know, that, that can, that's something that you can observe from, from across the room, basically right off the bat. But in terms of really getting to know somebody and, and knowing what they're like from day to day, I, my, my thought is get past the honeymoon phase, past that infatuation phase, and then give it a good long time. And the reason I say get past the honeymoon phase is because there's been some really interesting research about what that is when we're infatuated with somebody and how we see ourselves differently. We present differently. They present differently. We are motivated to see the best in them and motivated to downplay the worst. We're motivated to show them the best and downplay the worst. And so once you start to come out of that phase, one, one of the things that helps you know you're coming out of the phase is that they start to get a little bit annoying, like all the little things that you used to found, find very endearing about them. Yeah, you start to notice there's a flip side to it. So maybe she takes a long time to get ready. And, and that was charming to you at first when, you, when you're going out because she's trying to present herself well. But then at some point that starts to get a little annoying. And then you can say, oh, OK, she started to become more three dimensional to me. Maybe I'm coming out of that idealization phase. Then after that. Once you start seeing her correctly or, or a little more clearly and vice versa, then you give it, in my estimation, at least a good year with lots of experiences so that you know what what she's about. Yeah. So it's kind the, of. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's tough to put a, a timetable on the initial like that honeymoon phase. It, it, it's I, I guess it's probably different for everyone. And, and is there a. Is there a point in speeding it up or trying to speed it up? Can you even do that? Is that, you know what I'm saying? Because what I, what I hear he's saying, it makes complete sense. But then there's another part of me going, well, how much of my life am I going to waste here before I figure out like this isn't a good one? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why you want to vet people out as quickly as possible. Mm. And, you know, as men, we tend to try to, we, we latch on to women quicker than they latch on to us. We fall in love quicker. We get attached quicker and we tend to want to keep them around. And, and I think there's a, counterintuitive strategy that works a little better, which is let me get rid of the ones that, that don't fit in my life, doing them a favor. I'm doing myself a favor. Let's weed, weed the non, the non-starters out quickly. Yeah. But what, what was the question? Like how, how much of your time? This is a big yeah. question for women and which makes it a big question for us. Cause you know, we don't want to waste, if we have any kind of soul, we don't want to waste their reproductive years screwing around. So it's a big question for them, but it's a big question for us too. And so I think you weed them out as quickly as possible, but then you get to a point where if you're, if somebody intrigues you and you're interested in keeping them around, it gets tempting to start to rush the process Yeah, and want to get hitched. And right. what guys will do what, well, men and women do, which is a big mistake is they'll start getting entanglements. Like they'll get they're feeling infatuated. They're feeling like they, they really love each other. So they'll get a puppy together or they'll get an apartment together. They'll shack up or they'll get on, you know, he'll help her with a lease or vice versa on a car or something like that. Now you've got these entanglements that make it really hard to separate. Yeah. And that's how guys get sucked into relationships that are a, a bad fit for them. So yeah. while you're in that vetting phase and you're getting to know a person, it's, it's pretty important to keep some boundaries. Like if she's mm. your girlfriend, 
She doesn't get wife privileges. She doesn't need to have her tampons under your sink because she's your girlfriend, not your wife. So you keep those, those sort of boundaries in place. Interesting. Well, I, I think we could we could talk about this kind of stuff uh, forever, and and that honestly wasn't the the uh, uh, the, the subject I was going to tackle today. So, um, yeah, in, in 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 spirit of of sticking with the red pill stuff, we'll, we'll shift a little bit now. Um, but we could we could def- definitely do this again and discuss this stuff a little bit more. Um, so let's shift to the red pill. Uh, let's yeah. define it. What is it? I know it uh, solely uh, based on a particular book, um, the Rational Male. Uh, I personally am not a fan. Uh, I did read a few chapters and felt like it was not for me, for lack of a better description right now. Um, but that is my basis of the red pill. Uh, what What is your definition? How do you define it? Do you believe that that book is uh, integral to the red pill? Um, I, I think yeah, there's, there's a lot of questions there. Yes. I never knew anything about the red pill ideology. They hate it when you call it an ideology. I don't care. It's an ideology. I never knew anything about that ideology or that collection of ideas before I wrote the tactical guide to women. Then some of those guys found the book and I was introduced to this, then this um, world of thought that's out there. And I have mixed feelings about it because I I think to answer the question, what is it? I think it's a crowdsourced attempt by men to understand how relationships work, mm. male-female relationships in particular, not, not work relationships or you know, right. that sort of stuff. It's very specific to male-female relationships and it's developed over decades. And there may be one or two guys out there who claim ownership of these ideas, but these ideas have evolved in echo chambers, basically, which is not um, it's not an indictment. Um, it's just sort of how how it is involved. They evolved in forums and conferences and so forth. And it's a collection of try, men trying to understand how women operate and how to operate peacefully alongside women. And the reason, the thing that really intrigued me about this when I first stumbled onto the to these ideas is that it struck me right off the bat as a collection of ideas that tries to accomplish what my profession of psychology will not do which is to talk straight to men about how relationships work because if you go to a psychologist or social worker or you know anyone in in the establishment clinical world of psychology and it's even worse on the research side like let's the, the academic and research side is a disaster right now with in, in regards to men and women but what you will get for example if you go to couples therapy is a very feminized view of how relationships should work so we need to communicate better we need to communicate the way women communicate we need to connect the way women connect and that's not bad. It's just incomplete. What's missing from that is this entire other side of the equation, which is how do men communicate? How do men connect? How do men approach relationships? Which is also good, but it, it tends to get, I won't say entirely neglected by my profession because any clinician who's been doing the work for a while of working with couples, they're going to get in touch with that that masculine side too, just by by necessity. They weren't taught it in school, but they're going to pick up on it. Now, you know, I know these clinicians out there, but mm. generally what you're going to get is a feminized view of how relationships work. And because it's incomplete, it doesn't always work very well. Mm. What, what I mean by that, for example, if we're telling men 
And, and some therapists and counselors are very strident about this message that we need to communicate in the way women communicate, which is we convey our emotions and we share all of our, our feelings. Well, you're essentially turning the husband into her girlfriend and women, heterosexual women do not like to date women, but we're turning men into women to some degree. I don't want to overstate it. Sure. And so the red pill is a balance to that. The red pill, even though I think they go way off track sometimes, the red pill is saying, hey, no, there's this other way of looking at relationships and it's masculine and it's not bad and it's not destructive. And hey, maybe we should incorporate that. That's what drew me to this collection of ideas in the first place. I was so intrigued by here's some guys finally saying what no one in my profession will say, even though they get a little in my estimation, a little off track. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I honestly haven't delved enough on it, probably because I, I took uh, that book and, and I'm not trying to knock the book or the person, but I took that book as sort of the template or the, at the very least the jumping off point and it turned me off completely. Uh, and, and the reason that it did is hypergamy. Um, to me, it felt like, and we could talk about the good parts of it, uh, later. Um, yeah, I have some opinions on, on, on that. Um, but, but let's talk about hypergamy to me. It's a, it's just a giant cop out and excuse. Oh, she left me because she was always there. They're programmed that way. They, they are from birth genetically predisposed to always go after the, the next best guy. Um, and I, I think that's just horseshit. And it's, it's a cop out. It's, it's not taking any responsibility for their, their fault in the, the marriage or the relationship. So um, th this is how I came across you. Someone posted uh, that you debated one of these uh, red pill fellers. Uh, I think they, they, said the word debate was pretty, uh, pretty loosely used. Um, but that you were basically saying that this isn't a thing. Um, but I want to, so I want to get more detailed, detailed into that. Uh, let's talk hypergamy. Okay. Well, let's define the term first. It, it's, it basically means women, Jordan Peterson has said it very succinctly. He's a women date across and up hierarchies, success hierarchies, or, or what's the word he uses? dominance hierarchies is the word he used mm. at the time. So the idea is that hypergamy is a female strategy of finding a man who is at or above her level. And she's trying to go above her level. Mm. Um, I had never come across this word in my, you know, in all my, my years and years of studying psychology, getting my doctorate and so forth. I'd never come across this word. There is a branch of psychology called evolutionary psychology. And it is not as it's much more liberated from the feminist ideology than, than other branches of psychology. It's just sort of a, a cut and dried. Here's what we think goes on. Here's, here's mm. how we think the human mind has evolved to serve, to solve certain problems. And evolutionary psychology focuses a lot on sexual selection and, and relationships between men and women and how things work between how things used to work between men and women and how they work now. And I'd read a lot of evolutionary psychology, never even seen the term. And the reason I hadn't seen the term is because it's just not that important. You know, it's not that, you know, a lot of, a lot of the various branches of psychology would be unwilling to talk about hypergamy if if they knew about it because they're influenced by ideology evolutionary psychology so far has stayed pretty um pretty clear of ideology and they're willing to talk about things that other branches of psychology are not so if hypergamy was important evolutionary psychologists would have been talking about it 
And after I heard the term, then I really started looking for the term and I found a few references to it. And the references were, were just sort of like, okay, okay, this thing exists, you know, so women want good men. Okay. Do we really need to, is that, is that some kind of mind blowing development that women want good men? No, not really. No, not at all. So, and, and that's, that's my problem with it in, in, in the space that I play for lack of a better word, um, divorce. Uh, they, they, I think, I believe men have used this hypergamy as, as a scapegoat, as an excuse, as the reason that the marriage failed. And I, I just think it's, it's lazy. So is it, does it, it, does it occur? I, I mean, I guess, right. It, it, it's possible that, that, and we're not talking about evolutionary psychology when they're talking about, you're looking for a mate, right. You probably, that's, that's someone to, to have children with, right. But we're talking about women that go through divorce in their in their forties and their fifties, and they're they're not looking for a mate to reproduce. Like, isn't isn't the motivation different um, in in in, in terms of like a twenty five year old and a forty five year old? Isn't there different? Uh, so even if hypergamy was real, I don't think it's maybe in terms of them looking for a mate. But during you know when they're able to breed, right? For lack of a better description, mm-hmm. um, it, doesn't that mean the motivation is different? Man, there's there's so much to unpack there because there's the way the red pill guys think about hypergamy. Yes, and there's the way everyone else thinks about hypergamy. So let's break it down a little further. I said a minute ago, it's not a mind blowing idea that women want good men. Good men is that's a meaningless phrase. So let's yes. only break that down a little bit. The where. Evolutionary psychology and the red pill guys would disagree or would agree is that women are generally looking for guys who are masculine. So they, they have some leadership ability. They have intelligence. They have athletic ability. They are what you might call alphas, right? They, they right. can assert themselves in a social situation and be leaders and they're competent and able of doing things in the world able to do things in the world. So that's where these two groups would agree. And they would also agree that there's a, a push and pull that that women tend to struggle with, which is they want the alpha, the guy who is a leader, the guy who can get things done, but the alpha doesn't always make a good provider because the alpha by his very nature likes to spread his seed and he's not going to be very devoted. And these two groups, evolutionary psychologists and red pill guys would, would pretty much agree, I think on those two ideas. So there's this push and pull in within females, within the woman's mind that she wants the alpha, but she also wants an alpha that will stay devoted to her and will settle down. And you can't always find that in the same package. Right. Evolutionary psychologists will acknowledge that red pill guys take that idea and they just run with it. That the women, essentially what it boils down to that to, to them, and I, I may be over, I may be misstating that, but I'm doing the best I can, their philosophy that women want the alpha, but they know they can't have the alpha. So what they will do is pursue the alpha and basically get his seed and then settle down with the beta. And the beta is the guy who's a little more of a follower, he's a little more stable. He's a little more willing to be devoted to one person. So they take this push and pull and they, they turn it into the woman is basically going to cuck me. She's going to go out and she's going to bang alpha Chad. And then she's going to settle down with the beta guy. And he's just going to be her plow horse for the rest of her life. That's sort of the, that's an exaggerated statement of the red pill view. Yeah. And so how does that apply? So I'm trying to figure out, you know, again, in the, in the space that I participate is divorce. And so how does that sort of apply in that 
you know, guys in their, in their, again, a lot of the guys that I see definitely late thirties, forties, fifties, um, the, the motivate, I would, I would guess like the motivation for females at that point is different from, from females that, you know, that are, that are much younger. And, and, and so therefore I don't, I don't know that it, the red pill applies to, to, I mean, I, at least hypergamy or the rest of it we'll get to, but I don't know if that applies in this situation. And that's what I'm trying to get to is to, to try and tell guys that, that she didn't leave you because of hypergamy. And so right. aren't, aren't the, aren't there differences in, in the, what the female would want? I mean, if, if she's 40, she's already had her kids, right. She's already had her alpha or her, or her beta or whatever. I don't know, whichever one got to her, right. She's had her children. So it, what, it, how is that, philosophy apply to those women and i i would assume they they would admit uh, or they would say that it oh it's a it's, she's a female so it applies but i i don't how how is that possible and i guess i'm asking I think, you to speak for them but <laughs> yeah i think and, and i'm doing my best speaking for them i'm trying not to mischaracterize what they say i may yeah. be exaggerating a little bit so i will but i'm trying to stay true to their arguments because they're they're not bad guys you know they're most of them are well-intentioned they're trying to help others but a couple things that are, are true at the same time. One is that a human being, male or female, has their predilections for the op- what they like in the opposite sex, and that doesn't change throughout their life. You, know, you like a certain kind of person. You're physically and emotionally and mentally, you're drawn to certain things. That stays consistent between the age of 20. And, and you know, if you have someone who's 20, it's, they're going to have the same predilections when they're 40. Doesn't mean that they are slaves to those predilections. They can step outside and make more intelligent choices if those predilections don't work, but you you have the same predisposition. And at the same time, a person matures. A person at the age of 20 should not be the same person they are when they were when they're 40. Like they should grow and they should understand more about relationships and so forth. So I would hope that someone who's divorced at 40 is looking or at least closely examining what they were looking for earlier and deciding what was working and what, was, what wasn't working. So there's one thing that's true is that predilections can stay the same. Where the red pill guys really go off track, in my estimation with hypergamy, is that the evolutionary psychologists will, will say that it is a factor in mate selection. Mate selection. I'm gonna underscore that 10 times, mate selection. Okay. They say nothing about hypergamy and mate retention. So you have the buildup to the relationship, you have the establishment of the relationship, and then the timeline goes forward and you have mate retention strategies. And they talk a lot about mate retention strategies. They drop hypergamy at once, once the relationship starts. Makes sense. The red pill guys will say, um, and here's a direct criticism that they're not very good at reading the literature and why should they be? It's, it's really, you know, I, I had to get a doctorate to figure out how to read the literature and I'm still not very good at reading the literature. Right. There's parts of it that I struggle with, but they say because hypergamy affects mate selection, it then affects everything going forward, all the mate retention, all the decisions when people break up is because of hypergamy and, and, you know, Hypergamy is just the explanation for everything a woman does in your relationship. To your to your point about it being a cop out, that's where it can become a cop out for a lot of guys because you're saying, "Well, I know about this one variable, and that must be what explains why my relationship fell apart." Yeah. And you know that's that's kind of a dangerous way to view things because you're probably going to repeat your pattern. 
Yeah. Well, and that's, that's another whole other conversation about patterns and, and repeating and, 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 and this is where I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but this is what that's part of what really bothers me is it's not going through a divorce, man. It's, it's, it's fucking shitty. I can assure it's, you. Yeah. It's horrible. It's, it's terrible. Um, but you, you can do some things with it. And, and part of that is to look within yourself and be introspective and figure out who you are and, and try and fix some of these things that, you know, some, some bad relationship habits, some whatever they are, it is an opportunity. Or you can go, ah, it's everybody else's fault. It's society's fault. It's women's fault. It's hypergamy. It's not me. And that's where I think that's what bothers me probably the most about it is, is it, it becomes these, these men look for anything else other than their role in it and what they can do going forward. Because it is an opportunity. You can take it and, and go, well, you know, I, I, this is what I did. And I'm not, I don't fucking walk on water. I'm just being honest here. I gave the silent treatment like I was a ninja. Like it was, I, I was a master at it. Well, that's a shitty thing to do to someone. I didn't know that at the time. That's just the defense mechanism that I had uh, for myself growing up because I had a shitty childhood. Uh, when what was me or whatever. But I learned that that's not a good thing to do. If I don't, if I didn't, again, I'm not. I don't walk on water here, but if I didn't take the opportunity to, to reflect on myself and go, what, what, what can I do for, for me? And I, and I just pointed my finger, my patterns wouldn't change. And I would have wound up in the same type of relationship. True. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Is, is looking at your patterns and, and what did you bring to the relationship? And yeah, maybe, maybe a guy marries a woman who turns out to be kind of a horrible person. That doesn't mean he, he, he was a victim there entirely. You know, yes. you, you can be a victim of people tricking you. It happens sure. all the time, but yeah, people tend to, in, in my observation, having worked with a lot of divorced guys and, and women too, is that the people who come to me tend to be the people who internalize responsibility. And I say, okay, I want to make sure that I don't, whatever I did, I don't know what I was doing, but I want to make sure that I don't do it again. And nobody comes to me because they are the type that externalizes and says, well, you know, let, let me pay you $250 an hour and tell you why hypergamy ruined my life. Right. Very true. I guess it really is. It boils down to the person, right. And what they're, yeah. and just who they are. Right. Um, I, I, and I, but I see it so much. So I, I run a Facebook group. There's 6,000 men in there. And sometimes I feel like, um, like I'm in a machete or, or like I'm in a jungle with a machete, just like hacking yeah. away, like all the bullshit that I sometimes see. Um, so it, it can be, it can be daunting. And, and I can see the ease of leaning on the red pill. Um, of course it's a lot easier to just be like, yep, yeah, not my fault. I had nothing to do with it, but I think it, it just boils down to who, who, who are you as a person? And are you willing to do the hard work of looking at yourself and figuring out how did I fuck this up or, or do you just want to point the finger? Um, yeah. And I've, I've met a lot of guys who've used the red pill in the process of their divorce, but they were internalizers, but they, they looked at the red pill information and, and, or the ideas. And they said, well, some of it seems true. And I probably need to pay attention to the parts that need true, but they they were not the kind of guys that would say I'm a victim of this thing. They're the guys who are saying I'm gathering as much information as I can, and here's a little bit of information. Some of it's useful. Well, so let's let's talk about that. Let's that, that good great segue. So, what are some of the benefits? What are some of the things that uh, are good that you get from the red pill? And 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 for me, I, I, I when I started thinking about this because I think in our pre-interview, you, you or I think it was the email exchange, you mentioned that there are some good things, and I thought. 
really? Um, I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm thinking, well, if you ever read, and I started thinking about good parts of bad things. And I thought, I bet you there are organizations that are in general shitty. And that's a pretty weak classification, but they're shitty. Uh, but they have some good things about them. And, and even the KKK, I'm not trying to compare the red pill to KKK, but <laughs> if you look at their, like their initial, like their charter and like what they stood for, some of it sounded pretty good. Um, not, you know, forget the fact that they're, you don't forget the fact, but they're giant fucking racist. But, and so I, I, I hesitate to, to point out these good things because I think as a whole, it's not healthy, but uh, I want to be fair. So what are some of the good things that men can discover from, from the red pill? Well, that Baumeister quote that I gave you earlier about men having to earn respect and women having to lose respect, that idea, while it's not stated directly, it, it does come through repeatedly in, in the red pill, you know, the red pill guys, the red pill gurus are always saying, get you, basically get your shit together. You know, right. you need to be working out. You need to be making money. You need to be having some influence in the world. These are good messages sure. for men. And it's one of the things that, you know, among all the things that my, my profession will not tell men, that's one of them is that you, look, you're not going to be respected if you're not performing in the world. Sure. Um, people like Jordan Peterson will say it, but no one else in my profession seems to be able to say it. And it's just a fact. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I guess you could say it's not a fact. I'm saying it's a fact. <laughs> seems to me to be um, pretty, you know, Roy Baumeister made a really good case that this is the case throughout time and across cultures that men who do not perform, they don't mate as often. They don't, they, maybe they don't mate at all. Um, they tend to be relegated to the shittiest jobs in the tribe or the community or the country or whatever it is. So, the red pill wakes guys up to the fact that you don't get a free ride here. When the message that we get a lot of times is, Oh, just be yourself. You know, you, you're good enough the way you are. No, that's, that's true for women. That's not true for men. Um, and it's not even true for women, but it's truer for them. So that's one thing they talk about, uh, frame and frame that now they can't seem to define anything without using 17 paragraphs. So, I'll define it succinctly here. Frame is a very old concept in psychotherapy, and it's basically just the the um, implicit rules of the relationship. What? How do we make in our decision as a team here? How are we moving forward? What do we do with uh, little moments of tension where we both know something's going on, but we're not necessarily putting words to it? So that's frame. And guys talk about these red pill guys will talk about the fact that she can enter your frame or you can enter her frame, and. I think I'm conveying their ideas correctly that relationships work better if she enters your frame. This is something that no one in my profession would dare say that a woman should essentially follow a man's lead in a relationship on, on certain things. But I think there's some truth to it. I think there's some truth to the fact that, you know, having worked with hundreds and hundreds of couples that it's not so much that things don't work if she, if she doesn't enter your frame, it's things, it's that things don't work very well. If the man enters the woman's frame and all of the burden of leadership then falls to her, mm. that that tends to be an uncomfortable position for women, not all women, obviously, mm. not all the time, obviously, but in general relationships don't function as well when we put the burden of leadership all the way on them. And okay, no one of my professionals say this, but the red pill guys will say it, and there's some truth to it. Yeah, doesn't that? 
doesn't that speak to just communication? So if, if, you know, I, I'm, I'm not as familiar with the term frame or whatever, but like, so, you know, you, you let her lead. Um, isn't it, and I know this is probably crazy to ask women or, or, or people, it's not just women, to speak up and say, I'm not comfortable in this situation. Like, it, wouldn't that eliminate, like, what, why, why is there, I guess we're as men, we're logical, we like to put shit in boxes. And yeah. this is, you know what I mean? And I, I understand that to, to a point, but like, wouldn't communication solve that issue? Like, not like I have to lead. And if she leads, she's going to be, maybe she likes to fucking lead. Like, who knows? But if you can have that conversation, it, it doesn't that eliminate the need for, I just, it sounds like they try to make things fucking complicated. I, and, and I'm a cynical guy in this regard, like just so they'll keep fucking reading and buying and all that shit. Right. Um, how many different versions of the rational mail can you fucking write? But <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But like, isn't it just boiled? Doesn't it just boil down to communication? Like if she's not comfortable leading, she should say that. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. I'm going to defend their viewpoint for a minute here. Go for Be, it. I'm going to defend it because I, I believe it to, to some extent. By some extent, I mean, I, I think it's true in a lot of cases. Hmm. So they would say probably, well, here's what I would say that, like you said earlier, you weren't aware that you were giving the silent treatment. Hmm. And, you know, I, I too can look back on things that hmm. I didn't know I was doing. And in the future, I'm going to look back on things I'm doing now that I'm not aware of. And so frame having, having a frame where, you, you take essentially a leadership role, which is not, in my estimation, telling people what to do. I'll, mm, I'll give you, I'll, let's, yeah. let's break it down in a minute what, what that means. But um, so you're not going to be able to talk about everything, even if, even if you want to. And as a, you know, someone who's worked with a lot of couples, frankly, it's not good to talk about every little thing. Mm. Um it's good to talk about the big things, but you get to the point where you, you, the purpose of the relationship becomes keeping the relationship together. I guess all you ever talk about is a relationship. And at that point, like things are, things are dead, Uh, not dead, but they're dying. So um, an an example of where frame might play out is a guy has his career, right? He's going along, he meets a woman. And as he meets a woman, he has his career. Maybe he's a lawyer, maybe he's a, an electrician or whatever. He's got some kind of company that he's running, that that's what he's doing. That's his purpose. And he hasn't compromised on that. That's something that's probably going to be attracted to her. His uncompromising nature about his schedule, about his clients, about the quality of the work that he does. These are going to be things that the evolutionary psychologists would say are attractive to her. The red pill guys would say are attractive to her. Jordan Peterson would say they're attractive to her. I would say they're attractive to her. None of the feminists in my profession would admit it, but it's attractive to her. So he's going along, he's on this mission, he's walking down this path, he's marching down this path. Then he meets her. She can either be okay with that or, well, she's going to push back probably because if she wants his time, she's going to push against that a little bit. She's going to push against his purpose and she's going to try to get him to compromise on the quality of work, the time that he puts in and so forth. If she really loves him because she wants his time. It's not that she's being a turd. It's just that she wants to be around him. So if he's maintaining frame, he's essentially going to say, not necessarily in words, but the message is going to be, this is when I work. This is how I work. These are my clients and I love you, but this shit is off limits. We don't mess with this because this is what makes me work. And this is what you like about me. And this is a conversation that, and a tug of war that gets played out over and over and, and 
almost every relationship, but nobody talks about it that way. And I would argue that it's not very, not very sexy to talk about it that way. That, that, um, yeah, maybe I, I'm going to walk that back a little bit. I think sometimes these things do need to be acknowledged and it yeah, does need to yeah. be said in words. Like this, this is my career and I love yeah. you, but this is my career, but that's maintaining frame. So she can either join that frame or she can say, well, well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go my own direction. But usually what happens is she'll just push against what he's trying to accomplish. And so her pushing against what he's trying to accomplish is a test of his frame. And if he can maintain it, she may not like it, but he's going to retain those qualities that attracted her. Yeah, it, it gives but, it up. He becomes less attractive. Sorry, I'll stop now. No, 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 I, I don't disagree. I just, but I think, isn't that what leads to divorce? Like I, I'm, a, I'm going to, I, I see it all the time in my group. Oh, I work so hard. I work for the family and, and now she's gone. Right. Like uh, maybe if they would have had a fucking conversation about, Hey, you're yeah. working a lot now. Get, now you, you at least give the opportunity for a compromise and solution. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll work five hours less or whatever. But uh, I find what I'm seeing is, 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 uh, and I hear, and, and it's admirable. They're working their asses off, you know, they're, but they're not giving their time at, at some point as, as and I'm not trying to defend women here. Like it sounds like I am, but, uh, but, but I guess I am, I mean, at some point, why the fuck did you get married? If we're not going to spend any time together, right. if all you're going to do is work, then it's admirable in some ways. And it's, it's what we do as men, right? We don't, it, at least partial, some of us, not again, not all, um, you know, we, we focus on work. We, we, we accomplish things. That's what we do. That's who we are. You know, we're logical, we're, we're task oriented goal setting. Um, but I, I do think that, that, that does lead to a suffering relationship. Um, yeah. and, and maybe I'm wrong here, but in, in, is, is there, shouldn't there be room for compromise in that type of situation? Uh, and, and I, I'm not saying just a man, um, but you have to factor in, in her, right? I mean, do you not? Yeah, hundred percent. And I agree completely with what you just said. Like if you're, if you're not willing to spend time in a relationship, why are you in a relationship? Right. I just don't have one. I agree with that a hundred percent. So that relationship and that family or whatever it is that you're creating, that needs to be part of the mission and needs to be yeah. factored in. And as you're going, as that guy is going along and building his company or doing whatever he's doing, that in his mind is, I'm going to add this piece to it. I'm going to add, you know, I'm looking for that person that right. I can incorporate here. And yes, obviously that needs to be, well, it's not obvious to some guys. It's mm-hmm. obvious to me and it's obvious to you that that needs to be part now of what he's doing in the world. Yeah. You know, And so I agree completely with that. The the line that guys walk when, when the demand of every society and every culture and every time period is that we need to provide something. The line that we walk is we don't want to lose the thing that made us attractive. So yes, he needs, he's going to have a relationship. He needs to make have room for the relationship, but he also doesn't want to throw away the things mm-hmm. that drew her to him. And that's yeah, a tough line to walk. I agree. Really? I I think I think men get stuck in that in that sort of uh, that precarious situation where it's um, they 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 do demand, but I don't know how much it's demand. I, I mean, there's definitely demand. I shouldn't say that. There's definitely demand of your time, um, but but we also I think give in a lot and become in, in, intertwined and ingrained with that person and, and lose ourselves in that process. Mm-hmm. I, I see, I, I went through it. I see it all the time too, where it's, yes, we, we, we absolutely lose our identities and become wrapped up in I'm a husband, I'm a father and all these things. So 
that, and that makes it difficult because then when it's gone, like, well, who the fuck am I? I hear that all the time. Like, who, who, who am I? What do I have? What am I, you know, everything is gone. I have nothing. And, and so it is a, it is a fine line. And, and I definitely, I do sympathize. Um, and I don't finger pointing who's at fault here. I, I don't know, but this leads me to the next thing. If you look at the stats of, of divorces in, in America in particular, I don't know if it applies to the world. I don't think so. Uh, 49% of marriages fail. Uh, it's a, seems to be a pretty standard uh, number. And there are two different numbers that I've seen in terms of women filing. Three, three actually. Uh, I've seen 69% of filings are, are done by women. I've seen 80% of filings are done by women. I've seen uh, college-educated women is 90% of the divorces are mm -hmm. filed by women. Why is that? Why are, if it's not hypergamy, it's not. If it's not that. What is it? And, and I know that's probably hard to quantify. Like to me, I, I steer away from these numbers because they don't mean a damn thing to me. I'm already divorced. doesn't matter to mm -hmm. me, uh, but uh, it is relevant. And, and I'm curious as to what you believe the reason is why are women filing so much more than men? Well, I'll give you my opinion, but let me give you what I've, what I've heard first. Um, the bunch of factors going into it. One is, uh, Let's see. Let me back up. We, we have good empirical data on why people file for divorce. And it, it's, you know, hypergamy is not on the list. Surprisingly, it tends to be things like can't resolve conflict, repeated conflict, um, infidelity on their partner's part, substance abuse. Like th those are the big three. And, you know, hypergamy is nowhere in there. Yeah. Um, that's why people tend to get divorced. As for why women file more often, the personality psychologist might say that women are more prone to, and this is not my opinion, this, this has been measured, women are more neurotic, meaning they're more prone to depression and anxiety. And we know this to be true. Um, men do depression too, but we do it a little bit differently and we do anxiety a little bit differently. But um, that that's one factor. The the feminists would say it's because of patriarchy, the that women are oppressed and and marriage is an outdated institution, yada, yada. Um, my, one of the things that I can't help noticing is that family court tends to work out better for women. And so there are incentives. So women do better with alimony. They do better with child custody. A guy has to fight sometimes just tooth and nail just to get 50, 50 custody. Right. So the incentive for women is not to get divorced because it's not fun for women to get divorced unless you really have a screwed up personality. It's not fun, but the disincentives aren't as aren't as profound for them. So the disincentives for women are, well, I'm gonna have to deal with all the social stuff around getting divorced. And I, you know, I'm gonna have to deal with my kid not having a family. But men have the added, men have all that, but they have the added, you, you're gonna get divorce raped mm -hmm. by a fam by some unaccountable family court judge who's just gonna make an, an arbitrary decision about how money and children should be divided up. Yeah. I, I think th there's a lot there. I think it's changing. I think to some extent that is true in terms of um, women get a better deal, but I push back on that a little bit because I think the higher earner gets the worst deal. And typically that's the man, but not always mm -hmm. you know, see Kelly Clarkson. Um, in, in a lot of places, 50, 50 is more the norm than it, than it was. Uh, I, I still think there are probably challenges, but um, so all in all, I think you're right in terms of, um, just because of how society is and we could feminists say that, you know, women are paid less and they should be paid more. Maybe that's true. I don't know. I don't fucking study that thing, but, but the fact is the higher earner gets screwed. 
this guy here. I pay a lot more money in child support than I would like to, to, to if I'm being honest. Um, but it is what it is. Uh, I've come to accept that shitty part of it. But um, I, I, I don't know if, and maybe I'm wrong, but do, do women really sit, and maybe they do, but do they really sit back and go, well, uh, I'm going to make out better if I just go ahead and pull the trigger on this whole divorce thing. Do, do they? Because to me, women are emotional creatures. Again, generalizing. Apologies. But they make the decision based on how they feel. Do they really sit back and go, well, you know, actually, this is going to work out for me. I'm going to do good financially. You know, is that do you yeah. think that that's really the case? I think there there are some women out there who do that. But um, and again, my the people who I meet in my office are not uh, representative of the general population. But every woman I know who's initiated divorce agonized over it. Just oh, did everything she could to try to keep things together, went to heroic efforts, sometimes to save a, a terrible relationship with an absolute goofball. Um, so I, I I don't, you know, there are guys out there who are injured by divorce and, and it's truly traumatic experience. Sure. But I don't buy the line that women like like this is cash and prizes for women and that's why they go into it. Right. Yeah. Some of them, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that th those exist. Th those. Uh, the, uh, how can I say this? I mean, they're they're not. That, that's not the kind of problems I'm having. <laughs> I don't have so much money that it's okay that I'm I'm giving away so much money. Like I just don't have those problems. Um. So therefore, I'm not going to uh, attract those those types of women. I don't right. think. Um. I want to touch on something that I hear on occasion. I want to. It's completely off topic in a way. Um. That I hear on occasion about women's attraction. And, I, and I'm gonna um, I'm interviewing in the near future, or, or I'm trying to interview. I've, I've had a lot of conversations with the guy. He's he's, um, uh, he's a researcher. Uh, I believe he's based in Canada. He, he and a bunch of others did a paper on when attract when when are women attracted to men, and having to do with their menstrual cycle. And I and I've heard this before, and I think this is a red pill thing. And I, there's a guy in my group. He he espouses this thing that. Um, when they're ovulating, I think their women are more attracted to the masculine guy, but they, but when they're not, they're like the beta guy. I, I don't know. Is there any truth? Have you ever heard any of this? Is there any truth in any of this? Yeah. Guy? It's, it's ovulatory shift theory. And the red pill guys have taken this ovulatory shift theory, which comes, which comes out of evolutionary psychology and they have blown it into something that it, it was never intended to be. Mm. So ovulatory shift theory predicts three things. It predicts that when women are fertile, they will be attracted to the alpha, which we described earlier, um, the, you know, the, the go-getter, um, right. the leader when they're in their luteal or get my phases mixed up when they're outside of the, the fertile phase, I'm, I'm circumlocuting around the word. Cause I don't know the right word to use there, <laughs> that when they're not in their fertile phase, they are attracted to the beta provider. Mm. So, and it, the third thing it predicts is that when they're attracted to the, the alpha during their um, fertile period, they're not attracted to the beta. So those are three different ideas predicted by this theory. The way they have measured this evolutionary psychologists is they look at things like the way women walk when they're in their fertile phase. So the gait is a little bit different than we're talking about such small, yeah. small things at the margins of behavior, but they, they've measured gait. They've, I think they've looked at the way women apply makeup when they're in, in their fertile phase, you know, little things like that, little discrete behaviors when women are in their fertile phase are different than when they're not in their fertile phase. Hmm. 
So the red pill guys have taken this and say, well, obviously then <laughs> women want to bang the alpha chad when they're fertile and then turn around and, and um, hook a, and, and devote themselves to the beta so that she can cuckold him. Right. The, da- the data doesn't support anything that the guy, the red pill guys have done with this red, with um, mm. ovulatory shift theory. What, because there's, there's no evidence. The flaw in the logic is there's no evidence that these minor behaviors, these minor changes, which do seem to exist. There's no indication that they influence major decisions. So it's not like a woman is fertile on Monday and she's out of her mind and she's just banging everything in sight. And then on Tuesday, she comes back to her senses and her values that she completely lost the day before. And she's ignoring, you know, during on Monday, she was ignoring the kind of qualities and personality and, you know, that she looks for and ignoring things like intelligence and ignoring things in in the man and ignoring things like, you know, shared background and shared religion and shared like all that stuff just goes out the window Right. When she's fertile, according to the red pill guys and ovulatory shift theory says nothing of the sort. It makes almost no predictions about actual behavior and choices in life. Now, it doesn't mean that a woman during her fertile phase, like just has enough of a shift that she gets really drunk and bangs a guy that she doesn't mean to bang or she wouldn't normally bang. And then she gets pregnant. It doesn't mean that that kind of thing never happens. Right. But that's not what the theory predicts. One of the things that we we talked about, uh, I think, during the pre-interview was, um, <clears throat> excuse me, was detoxing from the red pill. Um, you, you asked about that. I ever, have I ever experienced that or seen that in in my group? And I have not. Um, I usually find guys if they're super hardcore red pill, I get rid of them. I'll be uh-huh. honest because um, I just can't take it. <laughs> um, yeah. my, my failings, perhaps. Well, um, it's like any other ideologue. They're just they're boring. Any ideologue. ideologue. It, like, God, they can't talk about the weather. Everything comes back to their stupid ideology. I'm sorry. Yes. Go ahead. No, I agreed. And it, and it becomes a distraction from healing. That's what I'm trying yeah. to do is heal men. Uh, my main mission has always been because I, I myself was suicidal in the beginning of this divorce shit show. And I, I had a friend who had been through it and he saved, he saved my life. And I wanted to do that for as many men as possible because I know men isolate, they lose friends. Again, we, we talk about, you know, they mess their identity with their wife, all the, the social activities go through the wife. And, you know, uh, uh, a lot of men become lonely uh, and then this happens and they have nobody. And so part of my mission is to have been to, um, to, to save, to save lives. So, um, so I, I don't tolerate bullshit. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I so so the hardcore red pill guys, I, I figure they're not going to detox anyway. They're super hardcore. And if they do, it's just I, yeah, I hope they do or whatever. But I, I got lives to save, not detox folks. So I, I haven't seen a lot of that. And then the other guys sort of have. I don't want to say toe the line because that sounds like I'm a fucking dictator. But in some ways, I guess I am. Um well, if you're running a group, you got to run the group, right? I, yeah, I have to do what I have to do. And, and that ruffles feathers sometimes, but I, I got no fucks to give. Um, so I haven't seen that. I, it, usually the guys that are super hardcore, they, they go. The guys that maybe are hardcore, but they don't speak it because they know I don't like it. Um, I don't I don't think that they're uh, interested in detoxing either. Or, or I think people see, they, they see what they want to see. They believe what they want to believe. I, I think it's hard to get anyone off an ideology if, if, if that's the, where, where they're at. So, um, can, but, but you've seen it. So can you talk about that and how did it occur and, and where are they now and how, you know, uh, just kind of give me the, the, the details of, of that sort of process, I guess. Yeah. Um, my, my client load, I don't carry a big client load. I tend to work with a few people at a time and, you know, 
I'm at their disposal. But my point being with a small client load is that in that within that small client load in the last several years, I've met several guys, like a, a really strangely large number of men who've come across the red pill and they got into the ideology and they realized that it was starting to hurt their relationships and not just their relationships with women, but their relationships with sisters and brothers and, and friends. Like wow. the, this way of viewing male female relationships as a zero sum competition almost it it really was making them depressed and miserable and it was starting to interfere with their functioning and so they once they make that realization well then once you make the realization then you get choices and their choices well i need to step away from this stuff and so what a lot of them have done is they just started looking at they they cut themselves off from all the youtube channels and so forth which once you're done with a thing it's actually really easy to just turn it off and because you're not interested in it anymore. And then they started looking at other information. So what they end up usually saying once they go through this process at the end is, yeah, I picked up a couple good ideas from the red pill and it was stuff that I wish I knew before, but 95% of it was making me miserable and it wasn't functioning well. And there's actually a Reddit, a subreddit called... I think it's called X red pill. It is. Yep, people discuss. Yeah. Yep. They discuss coming out of this ideology. Yeah. That's how I found you. Someone posted your, your, um, your debate, <clears throat> excuse me, your, your debate with, uh, with some other folks. <laughs> um, so that's how I found you. Um, it, it, I, I, I find it, I, I, I wonder how difficult it is to do that. I wonder how difficult it is to, mm especially if you're engrossed in it and you believe it and it, and it provides you some answers that you, that you're seeking, you know, you, you know, obviously you find out they're not maybe the right answers, but it must be a difficult process to, to, to sort of, to detox. What, what do, um, what, how do you, I'm going to ask, it's a generalization question and I think I know the answer, but how do the red pillars do, deal with, people that are detoxing and asking questions like, cause I think yeah. the, the, the center of, if the center of any ideology can't be questioned, then I have some concerns obviously, but how did, yeah. how do those guys deal with that? Well, well, I can tell you what I've experienced and I can tell you what I've seen other people experience um, that one of the reasons I call it an ideology is because there is zero tolerance for any kind of questioning or dissension. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned earlier that I got to know some of these red pill guys and I got to know the red, you know, the main boss. And to some degree, um, you know, we weren't buddies or anything. I just, I, but I knew him yeah. and cause I'd met him in person a couple of times. And, uh, when I started to question hypergamy, because I mentioned I'd, I'd never heard that term before. When I started to question, I spent about nine months really digging into the literature and, and trying to sort out this thing because I, the reason I did that is because I saw my profession not saying anything about it. And then I saw these guys saying, this is really important. You need to pay attention to me. And that conflict really caught my attention. And I felt the need to, to sort that out. And because I saw what they both were, I, I could agree to with some of what each side was saying. So right. I spent about nine months trying to resolve that question. And I did a video on hypergamy and laying out some, some of my, where I agree with it and where I disagree with it and where the, the, it, where my clinical experience doesn't line up with it and where research doesn't line up with it. Um, and I was almost immediately as, as if a, a decree went down from the head office that none of these guys were ever to talk to me again. Wow. I was, I was shunned, you know, sort of like, like if, if 
a group of religious zealots just decided to turn their back on someone. It was a really interesting experience. And, it, and I didn't really count these guys as friends. You know, I have my friends and I have my family, but there were guys that I enjoyed talking to sometimes. And suddenly it was just all cut off. So that's when I knew that this, this is not a collection of ideas. This is an ideology, which is a collection of ideas that is aimed at social change. And if, and you're not allowed to question it. So that's what I've experienced as far as guys who are consuming this content and trying to apply it to their relationships. What I usually see from the gurus is if you go to them and say, you know, I'm trying this stuff you taught me about frame, for example, or dread game or passive dread or whatever. And it's having a, a, an effect that, you know, it, it's not working for me. The response usually is, well, you're not doing it right. You need to do, you need to do it better, which is what you would get from a, a it's the same kind of response you would get in a cult. And it's not working for you. Well, obviously you need to jump up to the next level of our program. I'm, I'm not saying they are a cult, but I'm saying right. that the, the logic is the same. Yeah. If it's not working for you, it's because you don't understand what I'm trying to tell you. Did you get any, any kind of, um, hatred or threats or anything of that? And I'm not talking well, any kind of threats. Did you get any of that kind of stuff once you sort of stated your opinion on this situation? No, I didn't get threats. I mean, no, they're, they're these are not dangerous guys as far as I can tell. Um, and some of them I consider, you know, decent guys, yeah. but no, I didn't get threats. What I got was, um, when I discovered this community and they, they saw a psychologist who wasn't shooting them, them down. Cause I was open to what they were saying. And I was agreeing with some of them. I still agree with some of it, that they, then I was a red pill psychologist and that's a compliment, right? You're a red sure. pill guy. Oh, it's good for you. You're red pill as opposed to blue pill, which right. is you're in the dark. You know, you don't know the reality yet. We know right. reality, but you don't know reality. Right. And then when I, when I got kicked out, I, I was catching wind through, through the grapevine that I was now purple pill, which is an insult. That's like the biggest, that is the insult within the red pill community is your purple pill, which is you're trying to combine the two worlds and, and you're right. just misleading people. And you're, you're, you're going to be responsible for guys killing themselves because you're, they didn't say this directly, but that's right, where right. the message is like, you're going to be yeah. responsible for people suffering. Um, yeah. That's what I experienced. Did you, did you, did any of that bother you at all? No, I mean, I've, I've got, no. okay. I've got, I, I know what I'm doing in the world. And I, you know, I, if you're doing anything worthwhile, people are going to call you names. Well, that's very true. I haven't had it happen yet, but my audience probably isn't big enough. Um, I also kick people out of the group that, <laughs> that probably would say some shit about me. Um, but I, there's a part, if I'm being honest, and this is just a personal thing, there's a part of me that is a little worried. Like if I, and I'm not going to be, my, my crusade isn't to get rid of red pill or, you know, fight red pill. I just really saw it in, in a way and, and, and it not helping in it. And that's, that was my motivation, but there is a part of me that does, if I'm being honest, there's worries that they're going to, they're, they would come after me. And like, and then I thought, well, and I don't necessarily mean physical, but I don't know. Fuck. I don't, I don't know these people. Um, and I don't mean the, you know, the top of the echelon, I mean, the minions down below, but there's a part of me that, yeah, I kind of worry about it. Um, if I'm being honest. Well, yeah, I, you know they they've all struck me as as guys who are 
trying to help. And some of them are trying to help and make a shit ton of money <laughs> by, by offering some recycled information. But, you know, I, I do believe that most of them have their heart in the right place, I guess. Well, let, let me talk about one of the ways that I think it is useful. Sure. If, if you don't mind. No, I, there's a lot of ways that I think it's useful, but when guys are going through that divorce process and you know how traumatizing it is and the word trauma gets thrown around way too much. It is a traumatizing experience in the sense oh, that yes. it will give you nightmares. It will keep you up at yes. night. It will, I mean, it will just invade your life. Yes. Like it's almost like, I don't want to overstate things here, but going through divorce for some guys is relatively smooth for other guys. It's an absolute mind fuck. It's kind of like being in a prison camp where you don't know what's real. You don't know what, you know, you have all the authority figures telling you stuff you, that some of it's just manipulative and wrong. And it, it's just yeah. a God awful experience for a lot of guys. And men can get really isolated in that and really confused and conf not confused because they're dumb, but confused because the system is not for you. The system is True. there to tear you down. Getting isolated and getting confused is a really dangerous thing for guys because that's when guys will are, are vulnerable to offing themselves or becoming alcoholics and so forth. And so yes. the red pill, even if the framework is imperfect, it's a framework that a guy can latch onto while he's going through that experience. And some of the guys that I mentioned who detoxed off of it, like that was part of their experience is that it gave them a framework to latch onto while they were going. And it gave, frankly, it gave them some anger and anger can be really useful when you need to, when you're facing something that's in unjust, that's the whole point of anger is that it helps you and motivates you to, to deal with something that's unjust. And when you lose the anger and you just become complacent about what's happening to you, that's, that's pretty, um, vulnerable spot to be in. So an imperfect framework is better than no framework when you're going through that kind of horrible experience. Yeah, I don't disagree. I because I it, it I was similar, although I was in a better place. I was still asking questions and stuff. I don't remember how I stumbled on on the rational mail, but um and, and I agree. I guess I guess that's part of what I'm trying to do is create something other than that. Um mm -hmm. not not like I mean, maybe I'll write a book someday. I, I don't know. People ask me that and, and, and I will start eventually coaching people to, to get through this because I think that is a valuable thing to have. I had many, co I had three coaches throughout my sort of uh, journey. Um, but I guess what, and I don't, again, I don't disagree. I guess what, what bothers me is where did it, where does it lead? And it, and, and, and what does it do? It can save uh, in terms of giving a lifeline. Oh, there's a reason. But I think it ultimately, I think there are better ways. I don't know what they are. That, again, that's what I'm trying to do, I think. But I just, I worry that it leads to just bitter and anger and just just no good quality of life. Um, but to your point, it, it, it probably has saved some lives. It's just, it's so, it seems to me there's, there's a better way. And yeah. I, just, yeah. I, I just, I wish there was something equivalent that's more real or honest or I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, part of what's missing is, is community for guys who are going through this. It's really important for a guy to find some kind of community and there's not, as far as I can tell, I mean, there, there are little communities here and there, but there's nothing sort of centralized the way the red pill is kind of, it's, kind of a centralized idea. It's organized around a small group of people and it's a community that you can enter as long as you obey the rules and you don't argue, yeah. you can enter this community and 
that a healthier version of that is is missing i think Agreed. And that's what I'm trying to do. Um, as grandiose as that may sound. I mean, that's the mission is, is that to, to create that. And, and I'm, I'm trying, it's not easy. Um, but, uh, it's, it's necessary because when I looked around, I didn't, there's nothing, there is no other, there's a couple smaller podcasts and they're guys that I know, and I'm, and I'm friends with where they talk about their journey, but they're, it's a side thing for them. And, and this is kind of for me too, although I, I try to do it as full-time as I possibly can, um, but it, there isn't really that. Um, and I, I wonder, I wonder why, why do you think that is why? I mean, I think I know, but why, why do, why do we not have that? Is it because of the male, um, predilection to isolate and to not share their feelings and to keep it all in and, and that kind of shit? Is that, is that why this, this type of thing isn't more widespread? I think that's a big part of it. Is that most of us are taught to rub some dirt on it and keep going. And that's a really useful skill in life until it's not useful anymore. <laughs> right. No, it's very true. I think it's, it's to our detriment, obviously. And it's something I'm trying to change, but how does, um, I, I want to shift a little bit to, we've talked about, you know, communicating with females and, and I think there's value in, in showing emotion, but this is another thing that I think is sort of red pill, uh, where they, they, they tell you not to do that. Don't, don't share, don't cry. Don't in front, you know, don't cry in front of women for God's sakes. Don't do that. Don't, don't open up. Don't be emotional. You know, I talked to, to another psychologist, uh, Abram Weiss, he, he wrote some books and stuff. And, and he said, uh, and he, he's similar to you in terms of, you know, he has a private practice and he's like, I've never heard a woman say they were divorcing because he was too emotional or he was too open or, 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 you know, it's the opposite. Um, so, but how do you, how do, how do they see that, uh, red pill? And how do you see that? Is it okay to cry in front of a woman? Um, the, the honest answer is no, typically that there's going to be a price for most guys and, and this sucks, but this is kind of the way it is where if you're a guy, you can cry at a funeral. You can cry at the end of saving private Ryan <laughs> and cry if your puppy gets killed. Right. But if you come home, let's say you have a bad day at work. You come home and you cry about that. Um, some women are going to be able to tolerate that. Other women are going to be very uncomfortable with that. And, and I think what might be going on there is that it, it comes back to, I, I think women don't want generally, I, yeah. I, didn't, I typically don't talk about what the way women think because yeah. I, that's, yeah. I leave that to the red pill guys, but here's right, what, right. I, what I can tell you. I've seen in my practice, for example, that, when a guy starts to, let me back that up. When a woman starts to feel like she's responsible for putting him back together emotionally all the time, that's kind of a unpleasant thing for her. And if we, let's take away sadness, let's talk about anger. If she's responsible for handling his anger, that's a really bad position for her to be in. So there are some good reasons that men are generally expected to be stoic. Like we are expected to manage our anger. And that's for obvious reasons. We're bigger and stronger than them. But along with that comes a lot of other stuff. Like we're, we're expected to be able to manage our sadness. And so I think there's, this is another area where most guys really have to walk a line where we don't want to hide what's going on from our women, because that's an unkind, unfair thing to do. If we're struggling with something and they're empathetic creatures, they know we're struggling with something and they, they have 
a reasonable expectation to know what's going on. But at the same time, I don't know any women who want to be responsible for putting her guy back together. So like, I want to know what's going on with you and I'll stand by you and I'll, I'll help you where I can, but I need to know that you're in charge of your emotions. And so crying in front of women, yeah, the red pill guys, they, they, I think some of them take it to the extreme of, well, you should never talk to your woman, which is a recipe for divorce, obviously, yeah. but, um, and it's just a recipe for miserable relationships because he, he can't, I'm going to start repeating myself, <laughs> but then there's this other side where, yeah, there's a little grain of truth to what they're saying. Yeah, I, I, so what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think, um, I, I agree in that you don't want to be a blubbering idiot right or or just a mess of a man right um but i do think if if you are feeling um vulnerable and and stressed or what if you need to cry cry I, that's what i think i think if for, this is for me if 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 that's what i want and this is where doing the work understanding yourself all these things if that's what i want in a woman i need to find someone who is comfortable with that right mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how you do that exactly um, until it happens maybe, but I, I don't like this line of thinking because I think it leads to suicide and isolation. So yeah. if, a, if a man can't share and cry, then what, what is his outlet when something, if he doesn't learn that skill, right. And it's a skill. Um, I think it's one, obviously we have as children and we society sort of maybe pounds it out of us as men. Yeah. Um, if you don't have that skill and something like divorce happens, man, are you fucked because you don't know what to do with those emotions and you're told yeah. not to, you got to keep them bottled up, brother. Don't, don't, don't be a bitch. Stop being a pussy. Don't yeah. cry. And then what do you do? I think leads to suicide. I truly believe that. And I don't have any data specifically. I do know that. Um, I think it's, I, I, I know the divorce stat by heart in 2019, uh, 38 divorced men a day were killing themselves. Now, I, I don't know the nuance in terms of where they divorced five minutes ago or five years or 20 years. I don't know, but that's a lot of fucking men. And I think that's just in the US. And I think in, in the US, or maybe it's the world, I think it's the US, 104 men, I think it is a day, kill themselves. Um, I got to think that that's at least partly due to the fact that they don't know how to handle emotions. And so I think it's dangerous yeah. for me. I think it's dangerous to say, don't cry in front of your wife. I, I just yes. think that's it. I'm not saying if, if um, someone called you fat at work, go home and cry for three hours about it. Right. 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 Um, get your ass to the gym. But I do think there's danger in stating that you can't be emotional around women, around your partner. I just, I can't yeah. agree with did, it. Did I, I'm not trying to put you on the spot here. I want to make yeah. sure that I didn't say that. Did it come across that I was saying that? Cause if uh, I, a little bit, uh, okay. little bit. I, don't, I don't think Let you me. were, you know, uh, hundred percent agreeing with it, but I, but, but to your point, you've, you've seen it and you see the uncomfortableness of it, but, but yeah, I, I that's yeah. Yeah. So let me, let me clarify because yeah. I agree with you. Not only do I agree, I will amplify that not only is 
being um, stoic to the point of n- not being able to even identify your emotions or communicate about them, not only does it lead to suicide, at least to alcoholism, they use mm. all kinds of substance abuse, at least to panic attacks and depression. I mean, there's, that's a path you don't want to go on. Obviously, yeah, a guy needs to be able to understand if he's going to function well, he needs to be able to understand what he's experiencing. And sometimes he needs to be able to explain that to people. And sometimes he needs to be able to cry about it. Yeah, for sure. The line, here's where I think I went off track. Um, The line that a guy has to walk is having that insight and having that awareness. And maybe he needs to be able to cry in private a lot, but if he cries in public a lot, it's going to cost him. And that's not, that's not fair. Mm -hmm. It's not right. But it's the reality that the the line every guy has to walk is, yeah, I can cry a little bit, but I also have to be attentive to how it's going to affect the relationship down the road, how it's going to affect me with my colleagues, how it's going to affect, you know, you know, what is the price of it if I if I indulge in this too much? And I don't like that reality. It is just a reality. Yeah, I think it's um, God, it's such a fucking, you know, life ain't fair and all that. But boy, is it a shitty reality. I feel like there's so many rules and maybe women have them too, but I feel like there are so many fucking rules placed on men. You know, you, you got to do this and you, and you got to do that, but you can't do this and you can't do that. And you just, it feels like we're so fucking pigeonholed. Yeah. It's, and I, you know, when, what was me and all that shit, but sometimes there are some days where I go, fuck, this is so hard to just be a man. Um, I, I, I feel like society does put a lot of pressure on us and I don't think that it is fair. I think it's, you know, you put all this pressure on us to be all these things and do all these things. And then when we maybe don't hit the mark or we, we fuck up or we slip up, then we can't even fucking cry about it. It's like, right. Jesus so Christ. Let me throw this out there. Cause I, I really want to be careful about the messages I'm sending here about crying that, hmm. um, you, you should be able to, to cry in front of your wife or girlfriend. I mean, all right. You should be able to do that. I think that the strategy is, yeah, if you're going to cry about it, make sure that you follow it up with a plan. Make yeah. sure that she's not responsible for putting you back together. Make sure that you can come to her and you can be tearful and you can be sad. You can be upset about what's going on. And then you're going to take charge of your situation so that she doesn't have to. And then she gets to be your teammate and not your rescuer. So is, is that a, a better yes. way of saying what I said before? Yeah. Because I tell you okay. what, man, to me, being a man is about ownership at the end of the day. It's on, it's all, it is on your shoulders. Not that you can't have help and support. I think that's incredibly important. Fuck. That's really important. Well, yeah. How do you get through life without it? I, I well, I, I think a lot of men try unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but you need that. And, and, but, but at the end of the day, yes, it, you, you have to take ownership of, of you, of your shit, of your flaws, your failures, your wins, your successes, all of these things. Um, I feel like we're supposed to be fucking robots. You know, right. you can't, don't, don't be a bragger. Don't, you know, it's all these fucking rules, but yes, absolutely. That's a, it's a much, that's a great explanation. I think I couldn't say it any better myself, honestly. Um, it, it, it does require your feelings or yours own them. And it, and, and if there are issues in your life, you are required to handle them period. You're, you're the owner of your life and, and your, and all, all that comes with it, including the tears and, and including how do I handle this particular problem? So yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't have said any better myself, honestly. Uh, it's so the, the, the more basic challenge for most guys, for probably every guy and certainly me, like I'm, when I was in my twenties, I, I did not have 
any kind of language about mm. emotions. Yeah. It's just, just literally, I, I would be in relationships with a, with a girlfriend or whatever, and some kind of topic would come up and some, some kind of emotional topic where I needed to discuss what was happening or why I did something. And it was as if just, it was quite literally as if something was holding me and, and freezing me because the words just wouldn't come out. And I, I didn't understand it. It wasn't a panic attack. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't upset. I just literally did not have words for what was going on. And that's the first challenge for most guys is yeah. like develop a vocabulary. Uh, how, how vital do you think there? I mean, it, it, you're, you're just be a biased answer a little bit, but, but still, I, I want to hear it anyway, biased in that you are a therapist, but how important is therapy to, to not only the divorce process, but fucking life itself. I mean, I think it should be mandated. Everybody should be in fucking therapy because we've all been raised by humans who fuck up and fucked us up to varying degrees. But how important do you think therapy is to people in life in general? I think it's, well, you know, obviously I think it's important because I've invested part of a big part of my career in it. But um, look, I think you said it well, you, you're raised by human beings. You're going to develop some patterns. You're going to be taught some patterns that maybe they work well at the time when you're a little kid and you're trying to, to navigate this world with adults, but then those patterns get crystallized and then they, sometimes they don't function very well later in life. And if you don't take the time to put some words to what you're doing, then you have no options around what you're doing. You can't change anything. You can't improve anything. So to whatever extent you want to improve your relationships and your ability to get along with coworkers and, and, significant others and children and, and parents. Well, that's how important therapy is, I guess. Yeah, no, agreed. Well, uh, Sean, I, I, man, I gotta tell you, I gotta thank you for doing this. Um, I, I, like I said, in, uh, before we started recording, I was nervous for the first time in a while because this one was important to me because I wanted to, I wanted to address this topic in a way that I felt like, I don't know, not put it to bed, but just at least at least give a, a um, an alternative or, or a view that maybe that hypergamy stuff is bullshit <laughs> and maybe you <laughs> should me stuff is bullshit. Yeah. Well, and maybe that'll yeah. be the title. Uh, um, no, probably <laughs> not. I think I'm just going to title, title it. I was thinking about this. I think I'll just title hypergamy and just let it at that. Uh, of course I'll add, uh, add you in there. Um, but what, how can people uh, find you, your book, um, uh, your website, all the, all the socials, how, how can people get in touch with you? I have a, I have a little blog that I update once in a while called ironshrink.com. And that's, you know, all, all my stuff is there. I'm also on Twitter by the same handle. I love that name, by the way. Uh, I'm going to assume that's a bit of a callback to the iron cheek. Were you Absolutely. a wrestling fan? Yes. <laughs> awesome. I love it. Um, okay, great. Well, uh, thank you again for doing this. Uh, the, the last question I ask everybody, as you know, is uh, what are some words of wisdom you would impart to a man who has just begun his divorce process? Oh, don't get isolated. Find, find a community, find a tribe. Yeah. Don't try to get through that stuff alone. It's brutal. Couldn't couldn't agree more. Uh, Again, thank you, Sean, so much for doing this. I think we will do this again and, and perhaps we'll focus a little bit more on, on the book. Uh, I am going to recommend my, my, my listeners go purchase that. Uh, What's the best way to find that is Amazon. Is that the easiest? Yeah, it's, it's at Amazon. It's everywhere. You can buy books. Gotcha. All right. Thank you, sir. I really, really, truly appreciate it. Thank you. This was fun. Thanks for having me, Michael. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for watching and or listening. Thank you to Nick Coyle and Lifer for allowing me to use their song, Born Again, which you're hearing now and at the intro to the podcast. 
Thank you to Justin Dolahanty and all of my brothers at The Alpha Code. Please visit the website, risingphoenixpodcast.com, to connect with me and other like-minded men who are looking to thrive and grow after their divorce. And remember to surround yourself with people who add value to your life, who challenge you to be greater than you were yesterday, who sprinkle magic into your existence like you do to theirs. Life is not meant to be done alone. Find your tribe. Take care.